Downtown Vancouver Business Improvement Association is proud to support BIV's daily Coping with COVID podcast series. And now that there is a plan to safely restart BC, we hope you'll join us in supporting your favorite local businesses. From restaurants to retail, our downtown businesses need us now more than ever. Thanks everyone and stay safe. I'm Tyler Orton, and before we get to today's interview, here are some of the top stories we're following at Business in Vancouver. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says he's working with the provinces to provide workers with 10 paid sick days. The cost and logistics of such a program have not been made available, but the Prime Minister says such measures would help address subsequent waves of COVID-19. And Monday marks the opening of applications for the commercial rent relief program aimed at small businesses. BC landlords with up to 10 tenants may apply today, but those with more than 10 will have to wait until later in the week. That's it for today. Now for our interview. The pandemic has obviously disrupted supply chains across the globe, leading some manufacturers to rethink everything from reliance on, say, their suppliers to the way that they use technology. Joining us today to discuss what the future holds for the industry, it's Dan Lionello. He is CEO of Omni Technologies, a company based here right in British Columbia. Dan, I want to thank you for joining us on the show. Thank you very much for inviting me, Tyler. So obviously, your company specializes in software that's helping a lot with supply chain management. And I'm wondering, what in the immediate aftermath of the pandemic were you guys doing to kind of address some of the issues that were going on? Well, we've built a, a pl platform that allows people to collaborate uh, remotely. Uh, so we've actually focused on both the remote work piece and the ability for teams to collaborate remotely with themselves, but also with all of the uh, people that they're manufacturing with as well. So the teams uh, of all the different companies can all interconnect and share information, communications and uh, quality, uh, which will allow them to uh, have better insight into what's going on with their manufacturing, uh, outsourced manufacturing. So I think it's like 10 weeks into since I started working from home. And what we soon kind of realized is that we're all learning to work from home like overnight. It was something that we all had to just figure out as we went along. What are some of the adjustments that have been made by a lot of these companies that are, again, maybe in a brand new position, something that they've never even thought about? Yeah, it's interesting because we've been, I'd say, quasi remote for four years. Uh, so our team is used to working remotely and, and therefore we have systems in place that we're able to teach others that are working with us um, to make it more effective. Uh, people that have been working from home, I mean, the first thing they had to do was figure out how to connect with each other, uh, whether it was using their cell phones and, and some companies had to put in sort of uh, hardwired communications of different types in order to be able to talk to each other. Uh, people realized that they had to get laptops for everyone that might not have had them. And uh, so I think the first few weeks was literally interconnection. Um, and then coming out of the time when people started being completely connected, uh, Zoom, of course, took off. They had their challenges um, and, other, and other platforms for communications. 
Uh, and then the, ne the next piece would have been determining really how to communicate with each other, especially if they've been uh, very closely tied in offices and then suddenly we're all remote. Uh, there was a bit of a shift that happened in terms of how they could speak to each other, how often they should meet, uh, how they would meet, etc. Um, and what I've seen is that over the last several weeks, uh, people have really settled into uh, being used to being on Zoom calls or, or different types, you know, Skype calls uh, for, for hours at a time sometimes. And, and um, so I'd say that, you know, the because the internet exists and people are able to communicate remotely, the biggest thing was first setting it up uh, for each of these companies. The second was learning how to communicate and, uh, and then become effective in a remote environment. So for me as a reporter, I, I'm kind of lucky. I just need my MacBook, I need my phone, and maybe a recording device to you know, write my stories, continue keeping in touch with people. But what are some of the needs of, say, manufacturers, especially if we have some disruptions going along with supply chains right now? Well, for manufacturers, you know, in the beginning, it was literally, you know, bodies on the shop floor. Uh, people weren't able to come to work. So especially in the larger manufacturing areas, um, you know, the, the factories literally in the beginning shut down for uh, a period of weeks and then slowly came back. Um, one of the things that was interesting is we work a lot with, uh, with China and Taiwan and other companies in Asia. And as they started opening up, being able to actually see that product was shipping was the very first indication that things were starting to come back because you would hear about it, but until you saw something, it was, uh, it was a bit of a challenge. So one of the things that happened was, you know, initially, uh, and it happened to occur uh, during Chinese New Year's, so everybody was away from the factories, and the next thing they had to do was bring people back, uh, start building, and then, and then start bringing the, um, the logistics side back online. Uh, and then it got hit with the global uh, demand for PPE, the uh, personal protective equipment, um, which was an interesting challenge in itself. And as a result, uh, the, the cargo facilities jammed up. Um, and so we had a double whammy. First of all, the factories that weren't able to produce. And then secondly, uh, if product was produced, it was a challenge getting it shipped. And so people discovered that having all of their production facilities in one geographic location, for instance, was a challenge, uh, which became a, a big theme of um, supply chain resilience. And so that piece is people now looking at diversifying the geography where pieces of, of their products are made. Uh, second or third sourcing and uh, beginning to work with multiple factories in multiple geographies to be able to mitigate the risk of not being able to receive any product at all. Uh, the second piece was the urgent or emergent products um, for, for something like uh, COVID. Uh, people discovered that they didn't, you know, they didn't have the product and they weren't able to get the product into the area that it, they needed it quickly enough. Um, and so in those cases, it became, the, the conversation became repatriation of certain types of production. And, and it's interesting because you can repatriate a factory line, but if you don't have supply, the factory doesn't work. And so 
Um, there's a lot of depth that needs to be looked at. It's not just a case of setting up a factory that can make masks. You then have to ensure that you've got the raw material available to you. Um, and if it can't ship, you're, you're in the same challenge. So there's a, a lot of um, depth to solving these issues. And it's not as easy as just bringing in a line and opening up a factory. There's a lot of different logistical um, considerations. So it would uh, be accurate to state that maybe an Excel sheet being manned by a single person isn't going to be solving all of these issues that people are facing, especially moving forward as we have to have that balance between diversifying geographies, but also realizing that there's going to be maybe more reliance on domestic industry for certain products too. Yes. And and so what's interesting is it's, it's not a spreadsheet because today um, in most manufacturing, the communication methods are email, text, Slack, WhatsApp, WeChat, phone calls, and believe it or not, in some countries there's still a lot of faxing going on. Um, and, uh, and so with all of these diverse methods of, of communicating, information gets lost and it becomes very difficult to collate and put together in one place. Um, secondly, if you're managing the quality data from all of your different factories, uh, and, and that you're now multiplying the number of factories by two or three if you're moving to other geographic areas. You now have a lot of data that needs to be moved around inside of spreadsheets, and um, it's, it's not very efficient, and, and it's certainly going to be um, fraught with potential uh, challenges and, and bad information. So where we would go with this is really looking at a collaborative uh, supply chain platform that allows you to keep all the communications, all the information, all the quality management in one place that allows everyone in your organization to, um, to, to access it remotely uh, and also for everyone that you're working with in your outsourced manufacturing supply web to be able to um, reach it uh, independently as well and manage all the same pieces of data in one place instead of having all of these disparate ways of messaging and communicating. Is your sense that some companies that may have been resistant to such widespread adoption of technology were maybe using kind of um, a, a mishmash of different tools, they really just don't have a choice anymore? They, they have to figure things out if they want to be on the same page as A, their competitors, and also all of their partners as well? It's interesting. Um, you said have to, which people, of course, have a choice. But as soon as they start to put boundaries around their choices, they start to realize they've got to start doing something. And so manufacturing has been interesting. I've been in it for 30 years. Um, and what I've seen is that it's been very resistant to technology and technological change. Um, and even when you look at surveys that are done year over year, 30% expect to use technology or 40%, it's never been over 50. And, and I would say that, that today, if you are concerned about mitigating your risk, if you want to know that you're going to have product that you can sell, the best thing that you can do is have deep visibility into your supply web so that you know if there are any challenges ahead of time instead of finding out at the time that you don't have product to ship. So I'm curious, do you think that this pandemic just accelerated adoption of technology that, you know, people would have done this, but it would have been years away? Or do you think this pandemic actually kind of changed the way that people were even approaching technology? Maybe that would not have had this adoption had it not been for COVID-19. I would say what it's done is it's heightened and magnified the awareness of the requirement. 
Um, it's too soon for the adoption to have taken place uh, because uh, there, you know, there's going to take some time. Um, but people are certainly more and more aware. I think if you were to do a survey today, it might be the very first time that you see the numbers above 50% that people are actually talking about adopting technology and they're looking at it. Um, it's always been a challenge because it's um, people look at it as a capital expense that they don't necessarily justify. And one of the things that's interesting is, you know, in, in doing our, our analysis, what we've learned is that the top one and a half percent of the companies are the only ones that have the big systems with all the visibility because they typically cost hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars to implement. So SAP or Oracle, for example, um, at Microsoft. And um, then the next four and a half percent have some type of an ERP or, or um, SaaS product. Typically they're in, you know, for example, QuickBooks or their accounting. Uh, they might have a few other pieces that are joined. 94% of the manufacturing on the planet really doesn't use any technology at all other than the ones we talked about, which are email and, and phone calls. And there are a number of processes that are done millions of times on a daily basis that today are still all done using email trails. And you're talking about emailing between four or five different personas within one company to four or five others in another company. And so the amount of email sort of horseshoe circling back and forth is incredible, both for require, uh, you know, requests for quotes, um, initial design review with engineering, uh, and uh, quality management and non-conformance. Today, with the exception of the very, very top companies, nobody's using anything other than spreadsheets and email and, and all those other things for them. And what, what we're finding is that if there is a challenge, you now have to do a forensic analysis of all the emails and all the texts and all the WhatsApps and WeChats. And God forbid you had a decision that was agreed to on the phone and have no documentation anywhere. Good luck proving who's responsible for what. So what we do is we, we, we really are proponents of having all that, all the agreements that are made between partners, uh, manufacturing partners, having all those agreements in one place so that they're very easy to locate and you don't require an analysis because you've got a yes or no just by looking at the uh, communications. You know, I, I hope this is not a, a leading question or, or I'm asking you to speak with any hyperbole, but you had mentioned mm -hmm. earlier that you've been in, you know, manufacturing for 30 years, but mm -hmm. is this event maybe the most disruptive event that you've witnessed uh, in the last three decades? Uh, I would say yes. It's interesting because when we describe it, we describe it as a combination of other events. Um, so the, the closest you could come would that, that we've that we've talked about would be 2001, where you had first the dot bomb, excuse me, the top bomb uh, bubble crash. And, uh, and then secondarily, you had 9-11 after that. And when you put those two events together, you've got something that's similar. The difference is that if you look at a graph of how we came back after 9-11, it started in days as opposed to starting in what's going to be months or years. I mean, we've been preparing, and anyone I've talked to in the last you know 10 weeks has been don't think of this as a two-month and then recovery. Think of this as 18 to 24 months before we start to get to the point where we really see this, the curve being able to take off again. In the meantime, we really have to mitigate um, our own risks and, uh, and, and figure out how we're going to operate 
and be effective and efficient in in what you know people are calling it the new normal but it's the way that we have to do business now until things start to shift well dan i really appreciate your insights today and i think it'd be worth following up as we get you know months and months into this because i agree with you i think we have to think about it in the long term as opposed mm-hmm. to some sort of immediate bounce back but uh, for yes. now i want to thank you for joining us on the program okay thank you very much tyler That's Dan Lionello, and that's it for the show today. But until then, you can go to BIV.com for more business stories, as well as more videos, interviews, everything that you're looking for when it comes to West Coast business news. 